Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to uh, be gathered as God's people together, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts again. We're going to be looking at the 15th chapter, and uh, this is an interesting chapter in that on the first read, uh, it could be pretty, I don't know, uh, just kind of like a recipe of how to do church, how to govern the church, uh, how to uh, kind of you know, kind of help things uh, move along. And, uh, and while that's here, uh, I want us to see what is underneath all of those things that are prescribed and talked about in the book of Acts chapter 15. And so uh, when we do this and when we look at this, I don't want us to just hear this as, here's a process, now go put it in play. Uh, there's a lot of heart uh, motives underneath all of these things that the apostles and the elders are seeking to address. And, uh, and so what are those? What is it for us uh, that we would be God's people together? Uh, and so we're going to be in Acts 15. This is kind of on the, the heels of uh, the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. God has done an amazing work, especially in one city, Antioch, which is a Gentile city. But there were many Jews in that city that had trusted in Christ. And so God's doing an amazing work among the Gentile people. And not everybody from Jerusalem uh, is thrilled with how it's going. And so how does that play itself out. So if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as we just want to uh, express our submission to the Word of God. He's speaking, and we long to hear from Him. So Acts 15, we'll look at the first 21 verses initially, just to set the stage, and then the rest of the chapter as we go. So Luke writes this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up uh, to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on the way uh, by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. 
And they listened, uh, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, which is actually Simon, uh, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes the, these things known from of old. Therefore, James says, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of, of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. We'll explain what all that means in a second. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So that's a mouthful. Uh, so let's pray that God would teach us from it. So Father, we, we long to hear by the power of the Spirit what you intend for us as your people. God, speak to us, uh, be with us, challenge us. Uh, God, encourage us, especially when things of unity and togetherness and the body of Christ, it just seems really difficult to maintain. God, uh, I pray that you would do an amazing supernatural work in our hearts and in us as your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can sit down, please. So uh, a time or two, we have uh, made different Grace Point t-shirts, and uh, one of the new ones on the back, you know, they got the GP logo, but on the back, it's uh, We Are Grace Point. Uh, on our website for, for years was, was a picture of one of the camping trips, and over, uh, over that picture was the caption, We Are Grace Point. Uh, and, but there's an interesting word that, uh, that's really difficult in that sentence, uh, and it's the word we. We are Grace Point. Being a singular I is much easier, isn't it? It's a lot simpler, you know. Uh, if we don't enter into relationship, meaning that we become a we, uh, you will never get hurt. Keep your opinions to yourself, and you won't get in any conflict. Don't trust anyone, and you won't get let down. But in order for us to be the body of Christ— being the church where, the, where we use the pronoun we to describe us, we will be hurt, we will be in conflict, we will be let down, but yet it is God's design that we would be together. That's astounding if you really think about it. Put a bunch of sinners together and you're going to get hurt, let down, and, and in conflict, and God says, that's my bride. And I love her to the point of giving my life. And so God's redeeming power must be in the middle of any we, right? For, for it to work. Because we long to see God work. We long to see God heal and restore. We long to see God take very different opinions, very different people, and bring us to unity. We are better off together than we are on our own. 
And that sentence, while we would assent to it intellectually, if we're honest at all, we are better off together than we are on our own. We all want to mail that one in and say, you know what, I'm not totally sure about that. It takes so much effort for we to work. Look at a family. You look at marriages. You look at friendships. You look at a church. It is effort and it is the work of God. God needs to redeem and restore. And that's why in this passage, uh, we, we actually didn't get there yet in, the, in, in our passage, but it talks about in verse 28 that they were led by the Spirit. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us as they, they started to debate this matter. Uh, so being led by the Spirit is what allows us to be the body of Christ. Because what's great about this, and again, I love the honesty of the Bible. The book of Acts is deeply honest. There is no immediate agreement nor togetherness over the, uh, these issues that they're talking about. Verse 2, no small dissension and debate was among them. Okay? Uh, that's one way of saying it was on. Right? Verse 7, uh, after there had been much debate they start to go on and make a decision. Verse 39, which we're going to get to at the end, there's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. The honesty of the Bible is that being we is very difficult. And in a sense, we will not uh, thrive unless God is in the, just the utter center of who we are. We are grace point. Sounds really nice. Until we honestly admit it will take the almighty God and his power to make that work. And that was all before COVID and uh, the heightened look at issues of race in our nation and many other things that have shown up in the last four or five months in a huge way. So you throw difficulty normally, throw all of that on top of it, masks are not our problem. Can we admit that? All masks do are exposed in the disagreement over wearing masks or not wearing masks. Or all it does is expose what maybe already existed. It's like stress in a marriage. The problem is not stress. If I can just get stress out of my life, our marriage will be fine. That's laughable because stress disappears and the issues stay. And so... I think we can say the sentence, I need you, and then in the next moment say, I don't need you. And I think that's the trick. <laughs> Is That's not good. Uh, that those are not consistent. Uh, I, I, that for me to say, I need you, and then to turn and say, I don't need you, there's this internal conflict. Isn't unity and togetherness amazingly difficult to, to sustain? I think we would all honestly say, Yes. And so the first part of this passage is the I need you part. Okay. Uh, so what's the issue? So verse one, uh, you can look back there. Uh, verse one, some, some men came down. Again, Jerusalem is on a hill. And even though Antioch is north of Jerusalem, they came down off the hill uh, to go to Antioch. So they came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, which is the Old Testament sign of faith, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
So God's doing an amazing work in Antioch. People who do not know the Jewish customs are coming to faith in Jesus and believing and are seeing the amazing, powerful work of God. Well, the uh, Jews that are uh, believers, they say, wait a second, they're not being circumcised. They're not obeying the law of Moses. So they go just to right that wrong. Just, Just to put it in context, Antioch is about 250 miles away from Jerusalem, give or take. And if you're on foot or traveling by donkey, uh, that, you know, 10 miles a day-ish. So it took them a month to get there to address this. So this was not like, hey, let's run up to Antioch and tell them our opinion. This was, this was a deal. And so when they come, they're saying you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Verse 5 uh, is basically um, kind of they expand that in their, in their thoughts. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, isn't that interesting? The Pharisees in, in Israel, many of them had come to trust in Christ. So from the party of the Pharisees, now trusting in Christ, they rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and... Uh, to order them to keep the law of Moses. So the basic claim is uh, that people that come to Christ, even, even of Gentile descent, need to be circumcised, need to keep all the law, meaning the ceremonial observances, the food restrictions, etc., etc., the outward, external uh, purity rituals, all of those things. So verse 2, uh, kind of what happens because of that. Uh, verse 2, first part, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, okay? Uh, So, what do the people do? What do they do in Antioch? Now there's a a sharp debate. How will they answer the question and solve this matter? Are the guys from uh, Jerusalem right? Are are Paul and Barnabas right? How do we answer the question? The second half of verse 2, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So how do they answer, what, what do they do to solve the problem? They go get help. They take the matter to the apostles and the elders. So there is this sense, when we say, I need you, there is a collective wisdom among the people of God that, that even Paul and Barnabas, in the midst of an amazing work of God in Antioch, this question comes, hadn't been answered before, uh, this is the formation of kind of the gospel's advance into the Gentile world, how are we going to answer this? They go back to Jerusalem to seek the wisdom of the elders and the apostles. I need you, they said. So they, their need for help, and what do they do? Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. They reach out for help because they want to uh, solve this. In a sense, Paul and Barnabas were not going to answer this question on their own. They were going to uh, reach out. Uh, and in, so in this, you see the seeds of what we would say is a connectional, representative form of government. Okay? Did everybody in the church from Antioch go to Jerusalem? No. They sent Paul and Barnabas and others on their behalf. Okay? Representatives on their behalf to go uh, seek the wisdom of the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem and then come back with a binding decision. It's the seed form of what we would call Presbyterianism. 
rule by elder, and a connectional body of wisdom that governs the church. All right, that's enough on that. But, um, but there was much debate in, in their midst. And so Paul and Barnabas come, uh, and verse 7, uh, so they come and they gather with the elders and apostles, and after there had been much debate— so what's interesting is they end up going from much debate to agreement. That's the work of God. Guys that traveled more than a month to basically question what God was doing and how the apostles were, or Paul and Barnabas, were leading the Gentile people to the Lord, they all come back and they go from much debate to agreement. Whew. There has to be a willingness to listen Debate can't exist with, without differing opinions and speaking those things. Uh, but, uh, but right in the middle of that, they're, they're led by the Spirit, and they were defending the truth of the gospel. So the rationale first comes from Peter, and it's a rationale from his experience. So again, so everybody gathers up. We need, we need each other. We need to hear what God is going to speak through the collective wisdom of God's people. And so uh, Peter, I'm not going to read that again, begins to speak of the powerful work of God through him in the Gentiles. Remember back in chapter 10, he goes to the house of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier who was a God-fearing man. And, and Peter is, is uh, just confronted with the fact that um, that God was going to do an amazing work in those who he would maybe consider unclean. God was kind of shaking Peter up to say, my work is so much bigger than what your eyes can see. Don't declare unclean what I have made clean, God said. And uh, Peter just kind of shaking there. And uh, here we see him actually supporting what Paul and Barnabas were doing in Antioch. Now, time-wise, this is about 10 years later, just ish. Uh, about 10 years later is this time. Uh, and so what was uh, in Cornelius in chapter 10 and 11, it was actually only an implicit statement of faith. It actually never says Cornelius walked the aisle and prayed the prayer. It doesn't say that. Um, but obviously here he refers to it, especially in verse 11, that they were saved by faith through the grace of of God, not by circumcision of the flesh. No one could be saved except by the grace of God. That was Peter's, Peter's point in verse 11. But here, this progression, it's from verse 8 to verse 11. So we're going to put those two verses together and see what they're saying. What's amazing is Peter's standing up, God's at work in the Gentile world, verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So remember Pentecost, chapter 2. God uh, is, uh, you know, kind of an overflowing of the Spirit onto uh, the apostles at that time. And, uh, and so that comes by the work of God. So just as we received the Spirit, Peter says, the Gentiles did. That's verse 8. Verse 11, he flips the order. Verse, verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. 
And so for those who, especially verse 11, those who feel like they can act right and be acceptable in the presence of God need to hear, you're only saved by grace too. But yet we ought not deny what God is doing among the Gentile world, those who don't do uh, the practices that you think are absolutely essential, because if God was going to require that, wouldn't he have required it before he gave the Spirit? Obviously, God was working powerfully in them and gave them the Spirit just as he gave the apostles. So that's from the experience of Peter. Well, James comes onto the scene. So James, the brother of Jesus, okay, also mentioned as one of the pillars of the church and other places in the Scripture. One of the historians, Josephus of that day, noted that James was a scrupulous keeper of the Jewish law, okay? So kind of put your Jewish law all-star up in front, and he speaks on behalf of what God was doing in Antioch. It wasn't that they ought to uh, adhere to the law like he had. It was God is doing something miraculous, and we need to get on board. And he quotes, instead of making a rationale from experience like Peter, he quotes scripture. He makes his rationale from the scriptures. And he quotes from Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. But I'll just read it here from our passage in Acts 15. After this, God says, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make uh, these things known from of old. Basically, it's in the context of God's judgment on his people, Israel, who had uh, basically walked away from the Lord, rebelled against him, uh, is that he not only speaks of rebuilding David's broken tent, meaning the people of God, But he also speaks of the nations who are called by my name. The Gentiles are being brought into the blessing of God. And so in the same breath of Amos chapter 9, where God is pronouncing wrath and judgment on the nation of Israel, he is also declaring blessing and inclusion of the Gentiles into his work. And the time at which that was happening, James is saying, is right now. Like you're right in the middle of it, don't miss it. It's the book of Acts, and it's following the resurrection of Jesus. And basically, with, with all of the work of God, uh, Paul, among with others, uh, are saying that the, 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 the law, there's an abolishing of the commandments and the ordinances, but then Paul goes on to speak an affirmation of uh, the Ten Commandments, such as honor your father and mother. Uh, what was going on is that the ceremonial law of the Old Covenant, the, uh, the worship practices of the nation of Israel that had made them distinct, are, are now fulfilled in Christ in his death and his resurrection, meaning that those were no longer binding on the people uh, who came to Christ, but yet things like the Ten Commandments, nobody's debating if that's still in play because obviously that reflects the character in the heart of God. Now, all of that was a big, big explanation. Now, what in the world do we take from that? So there's this collective wisdom. You don't get collective wisdom unless you admit, or I admit, I don't know everything. 
And I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to be persuaded. I'm willing to submit to the collective wisdom of God's people led by the Spirit. But then what's amazing is as they conclude, there's a fight for togetherness. So you can imagine being one of the Jewish believers that come and say, you've got to be circumcised. If the decision goes the other way, how, how are we now going to live in unity? Well, there's a fight for togetherness. Look at verse 20 and 21. So this comes on the heels of verse 19 where James says, you do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Verse 20, but write to them to, and he says four things, write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, meaning food, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. That's interesting. And then the next verse goes on to say that the law of Moses is read in all the synagogues uh, every Sabbath. And so there's four requirements that they actually say, yes, no, you don't have to be circumcised, but do these four things. Why? And if you really look at it, three of them basically don't eat meat uh, sacrificed to idols, don't meet an, eat an animal that was strangled, don't eat an animal that has its blood still in it, meaning it's not kosher. Those feel like dietary, ceremonial law that, in a sense, they're saying is being abolished. Why would you turn around and then require those things? It's called deference. It is God trying to bring one people out of the Gentiles and the Jews who have very different cultural upbringings, yet they believe in one Savior, one Messiah, one uh, Lord of all. And they're going to trust in Christ and yet now live together united. You could imagine what that would bring about, especially when the Gentile believers are now said they don't have to adhere to the Old Testament law. And I say rightly so. But what they're doing is they're trying to say, how can these people actually live together? When, when a Jew says that meat offered to idols is an abomination, hey, you know what, Gentiles? Refrain from eating it. Now, Paul turns around and says, feel free eat. Again, it's not the law of God, but it's this idea of deference in order to maintain unity and togetherness. Uh, you know, uh, to the idea of, of kosher and, and drained blood and strangling its meat, it's all the same. Now, you might say, well, where does sexual immorality come in in the middle of that? Uh, that doesn't feel like one of the ceremonial laws. It's in the Ten Commandments even of, uh, of honoring um, Marriage as God establishes it. But what's interesting is that so much of the Gentile world had a sexuality that was just uh, lavishly free and lax uh, compared to how God had designed marriage and sexuality. And so uh, it's thought that that was included in here. Not to say you don't have to do anything else that God would ask of behavior, but that one just being highlighted uh, on, uh, for the sake of unity. What is all this? Is a fight for togetherness. For us to be, we are grace point, it is game on. 
And we thought we had to fight for unity before 2020. Of course, I got to check my heart when uh, anything arises uh, in my heart. And it's, it's not always easy to be together. But now more than ever, we're physically distant. We're socially distant. Different opinions on how to treat all this. We have to fight against the evil one who would love to destroy God's church. That's Grace Point. That's Eastlake. That's Gateway. That is First Pres downtown. That is churches all over our country and all over our world. The evil one would love to destroy us and destroy the unity that only the gospel can bring. It is a fight for togetherness. It's a fight for the fellowship. The issue was the fellowship of believers. And are we willing to defer to each other in order to maintain togetherness? Whew. And so then, after that, after the decision's made, they send a letter uh, in verses 22 to 30. I'm not going to read it. Uh, basically, they send a letter back to Antioch. They send Paul and Barnabas. They send others to go and to, not only here's a letter, but let me speak on behalf of it. Uh, here's all of what we concluded. They basically said the same exact thing that they just had concluded. Uh, and, but what's great is the one thing I will read is verse 28. That it seemed good to us, actually I can't see my verse numbers, (laughs) there it is, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, the four things that they had looked at. So there was no, no purpose to lay more than that. They send this delegation, and what comes of that? The church is strengthened, the people are encouraged, and again, the gospel thrives in Antioch. Uh, what's, uh, what's wild is these four things show up, at least two of them show up in the churches in Revelation. Uh, they're spoken of. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, who, ex- uh, who kind of ministered in 180 AD to about 200 and change, 210-ish, that uh, he actually encouraged the churches of northern Africa to abstain from blood and illicit marriages. Obviously, these four things had quite an effect on the way the church led its um, itself uh, from this point forward. Even in the fourth century, the Syrian church uh, had a, a forbidding of sexual immorality, the consumption of blood, and strangled meat. Now, if you like a medium rare steak like I do, thank God that this was not part of the law of God for the Gentile church. It was in the midst of a, uh, a church which was trying to bring Jewish uh, believers and Gentile believers together a deference to maintain unity. I need you, and the apostles go to solve that problem. But then right on the heels of that, I don't need you. I need you, and I don't need you. Because what do we see right after that in verse 36? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. 
other places, he's called John Mark or Mark, the, gos- the writer of the second gospel account of Jesus' life. So Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. Wow, what's Paul talking about is, well, on the first missionary journey, they took Mark with them. And at one point, it actually, Luke recounts it as Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. Well, Paul's take on that here was that he abandoned them and he withdrew and in... You know, I don't want to put words in uh, the, the, the mouth of Paul, but it was not a favorable look at what uh, Mark had done on their, um, uh, on their journey. But what's interesting is that verse 38, oh, sorry, verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement, just so that you get the sense Sharp, the word there, is often used to describe a sickle that cuts wheat. Okay, so you got Paul and Barnabas, the two pillars of the first missionary expansion into the Gentile world, who had labored together, they had faced death together, and here they are with swords drawn, like sickles, sharply disagreeing over what they should do. There was a, different, a difference of an opinion, but I would even say there was a difference of gifts and values. Because who is Barnabas? Barnabas, his name means the son of encouragement, okay? He's the one who sees potential in people. He's the one who builds people up. He's the one who says, you know what? I see this John Mark guy, who actually happens to be his cousin. Um, I, I see him. I see potential in that guy. We should bring him with us. Paul, he's more of a singular focus kind of guy. Um, he's a driver, right? He's someone, uh, you know, that Mark guy, he can't be dependent on us. He deserted us once. He's going to desert us again, right? What's wild is that back in Acts 11, 25 and 26, who's the one who went and found Paul? It was Barnabas. Paul's hiding, in a sense. He's distant from the apostles. He's, he's kind of hanging out. And who goes to find him because he sees the potential in Paul is Barnabas. I just think that's fascinating. Barnabas was the only one who brought Paul back to minister in the midst of what God was doing. Because Barnabas saw potential in Paul. Quite possibly, he maybe have been one of the only ones to see it. Barnabas looked for him and searched for him. And so here again, same with John Mark. Barnabas sees what could, what he could develop into. Paul sees what is real right then. Who's wrong? Who's right? I would say yes. Luke was amazing. He doesn't answer it. Luke didn't, an, didn't give any commentary on when John, uh, John Mark left. He doesn't give any commentary on it now. It's just that there is a dispute over this matter. Luke just re- records the disagreement. Should we be singular focused in our mission and bring people that have been past performance, predicts future behavior, or should we, uh, should we invest in people and raise people up? And it led to the fallout 
between Paul and Barnabas in that they found themselves holding opinions over relationship. Look at verse 39 to 41, okay? Again, I'm not saying that this is outside of the will of God, but it's just amazing the, the, the disagreement and the discord that can happen in God's people. Verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark uh, with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been uh, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. I would submit to you, yes, they went to two different places, and two places are better than one. When it talks about, uh, when, it, when you're talking about planting the seed of the gospel. But I will not buy that this is a good thing. When God's people end up in swords drawn disagreement with each other over an opinion of how they should proceed with, uh, with a brother. And what's interesting is while everybody is uh, in unity in the first part of Acts 15, now we've got disunity. And they were holding opinion over relationship. Yet, what's amazing is God uses even our idiocy. God uses it even when I become stubborn, God uses it for his glory. Amen. You know, Paul talks about in that Philippians 1 when people were berating him and speaking bad against him. He says, what does it matter? Because the gospel is still being preached. Now that is a trust in the Almighty God that God's going to redeem, God's going to work, God's going to heal, God's going to restore, God's going to create we, even when it feels like we are nothing like that. Because what's great is that Mark was later restored. The next time we hear John Mark mentioned is in the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, about 10 years after this point, Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, hey, concerning whom uh, you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. That's fitting. Chapter 4, verse 11, these, uh, Mark and others, are the only men of the circumcision— meaning the, one, the Jewish believers, these are the only men among the circumcision, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. I think all that does is point to the fact that, yes, we may find ourselves in sharp dispute and sharp disagreement, even to the point of separating, where we kind of severs. But yet, isn't God gracious to bring and and allow us that picture into the end of Colossians where Paul calls Mark uh, a comfort to him, a fellow worker in the kingdom of God. And if he comes to you, make sure you welcome him. I think I just submit before you, where is God kind of challenging you to say, you know what, you need to declare, I need you. And where is he challenging you and me when we are saying, you know what, when we're kind of heels dug in saying, I don't need you. Because it's in that redeeming work of God that he creates the amazing body of Christ, that he heals and restores, and it's the unity of God's people that says to the world that Jesus is real. Go read John 17. That if we live not as we, but as I, 
The world lacks proof that this Jesus can really heal things that are severely broken. I need you, yet at times I say, I don't need you. Where's God leading you this morning? Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you that you would uh, put this in the, in the scriptures, the debates, the disagreements, the uh, discussions, the collective decision-making, the submission, the listening, the, uh, even the separation of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, those who were willing to be stoned for the sake of the gospel will now part ways. Father, uh, how you choose to use all of this in our life, I, Holy Spirit, would you come and convict and, and restore and heal Uh, God, would you do something amazing that we can't even fathom with this? Challenge us by your word. Heal us by the gospel. God, because we are saved by grace alone. Father, that's a leveling field. It brings humility. It brings uh, meekness. It brings a, a compassion because I know I needed the grace of God. So, Father, I can show your grace. God, do an amazing work in our midst. And in so doing, I pray that your gospel would ring out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.